0: Hey everyone, it's time again to crack open a cold one and talk real estate with Mike Ferrante from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team based in Cleveland, Ohio. We are chatting about all things real estate from agent training, real estate investing, buyer and seller tips, and more. It's free beer and real estate.
1: What is up everyone? It's Mike Ferrante with Century 21 Homestar, 21 Mike team. And today we're gonna continue our series of keeping you out of trouble, ethical and legal trouble in the real estate field, specifically handling of money, property management, and saying things like no section eight. So changes are happening and it's really important to stay on top of these. Uh, We're going to do a real high level view on this stuff, Tony, and kind of go from there. But As I mentioned, Tony is here, Tony Geraci, broker owner of Homestar, who joins us every week to do these free trainings for real estate people, uh, real estate professionals, landlords, property owners. Uh, Tony, you run a brokerage of over 500 agents, so you know a little thing or two about real estate, right?
2: Uh, a little too, a little one, two, three things. That's about it. And also know a lot of being in business uh, in real estate 30 years and over 23 years of having the office of legal pitfalls. <laughs> so Yeah,
1: that's one of your biggest jobs. And of course, if you want to talk real estate with Tony, best way to reach him is yes, on his cell phone. Text is good. 216-374-1269. Excuse me. And the way you get me is emails better for me. Mike at 21mike.com. So, uh, Tony, let's get into this whole no Section 8 thing. I know uh, it's not the same in every single state, but more and more we're seeing this uh, source of income as a protected class. Okay, and if you haven't heard about this, guys, let me just briefly tell you what it is. It's essentially an expansion of fair housing rules to include... Source of income. It's not everywhere yet, but I guarantee you it's coming. We already have a couple cities here in the Cleveland area where source of income is a protected class. So what that means is that if you simply say, no, I don't take section eight, that's a source of income. And the court may say that you are discriminating based on source of income. Uh, Tony, have you have you heard much about this? I know I have an opinion on it. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to go into opinions today, but have, have you heard much about source of income yet?
2: Yes, oh, definitely. Because I have agents asking about that when they put in their rentals, if they can do that. And then usually I suggest to them is to ask their sellers why. And without even knowing the, their answer, not even hearing their answer, usually it's a discriminatory response. Uh, To that. So I usually say that just don't put that in your advertising. Got it. Even if this, even if the city is going with that or not on that, but I see that it growing, you know, not like protecting where people's income is coming from. It's like what their job is affects them.
1: Right. So I could do an hour on this topic because I feel very strongly that source of income shouldn't be protected. And I don't want people to judge me for that. There's legitimate reasons as a landlord. And I'm sure uh, Jason, if, if if you do subsidize uh, rents, it's a whole process. It's a, it's a essentially another uh, facet of your business that you now have to be in the business of dealing with a government entity. Um, there are annual inspections you have to endure um, there are hoops that you have to jump through. There are glitches that happen. I could tell you stories about how I had a, a tenant once who was on a subsidy who turned in their paperwork and said, I'm moving. And then they didn't move. And so I contacted the agency and said, hey, they didn't move. Can I get my rent? And they said, sorry. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? She didn't move. She still." It took me months to, to get rent going again. And they did not pay me for the time that the paperwork was not in effect. I've had inspections where they come through and they, they say, well, your exterior paint is peeling. It's January. We don't care if it's not fixed in 30 days, your rent stops. It's January, you know, and it's Cleveland. So anyway, there are lots of reasons. And and also, you know, I have found those agencies to be very difficult to work with, try reaching a human being there. So there are valid reasons I think for landlords to complain about this, That's not what this session is supposed to be about. I want to get back to off my soapbox and focus on, look, guys, our MLS input sheets no longer have the option to check Section 8, yes or no. And the reason is that the source of income as a protected class is now a thing. So you have to coach your landlords, landlords if you're listening you cannot go out there and say no Section 8. It would be the same thing as going out there and saying no Italian guys. Me, me and Tony are Italian. You have to run to us if we're qualified, right, Tony?
2: That's right. Well, I hope so, right? <laughs> right.
1: I mean, I could see that uh, being an issue, but you know that aside, I'm also half Polish, so you have that going for me. But source of income, this no Section 8 business, stop saying it. It's just you're asking for trouble right now. And if it's not in your area yet, it will be. Okay. So that's one thing. I wanted to move on to the next topic, which is more realtor geared and it's about the handling of earnest money. And then I'm gonna segue into the commingling of funds. And I have an actual story I'm gonna share with you about a property manager who was indicted for racketeering that's what they deemed it something he did that you're going to say oh yeah that sounds fine this guy was indicted for racketeering this is many years ago but and i won't say names so first of all let's talk about handling of earnest money tony i know that you know you probably have a million stories you could tell uh but in my ethics and law class one of the questions i ask is who is most responsible for the collection of the earnest money and my choices are buyer's agent, seller's agent, title company, lender. Those are usually the multiple choice uh, options I give. And Tony, you'd be surprised how many people don't get this. Or, or they say, well, it's the buyer's responsibility. You know, and I purposely leave buyer off of that, that list. But when we think about it, you know, who's most responsible for the collection of earnest money? I'm going to let you unmute and, and talk about who it is and why.
2: Sure. Well, it's the buyer's agent's responsibility to make sure that they notify, you know, keep everybody updated if the contract is being followed. So, you as a buyer's agent are responsible for following, helping the buyer follow the contract as it's written and, and notify everybody. So, I tell agents all the time you can't physically get the earnest money if someone says, I am not giving it to you, but you have to have. Uh, documentation or text or emails or or call logs to show that you tried to get it and then if you don't get it by the contract that you have to let all the parties know that it the are it's, it's kind of out of contract and you're not uh, you don't have the earnest money. We have agents and I'll let you go through some examples too, through your, your ethics class. And uh, but- is that if you don't get it, we have had agents get in trouble and fined by the division and by the board of realtors because they didn't collect the earnest money and didn't let everybody know.
1: Wait so- a minute, Tony, I want you to say that again. You're saying that if I, if my buyer doesn't turn in the earnest money and I'm not aware of it, I don't let people know that I can get in trouble.
2: Right. You can't get in trouble and you should let everybody know and you should be on top of it. You should be know where it is. That's a remind agents all of the time. You can't. And usually the excuse is and, and again, it's not a valid excuse, but it's an excuse that it happens because they just don't pay attention sometimes or they're busy. Is that the buyers told me they sent it or they're going to call the title company or mail it to the office. You got to verify it gets there, and don't trust the buyers sometimes. Not that the buyers are doing anything to deceive anybody, but sometimes they they don't know the importance of it. They they there's so many things on their mind. So I always think the good in people. No one's trying, you know. Very rarely is someone really trying out to to fool the other people or take advantage of the sellers. But if for some reason something goes south with the transaction, usually the buyer goes, "Well, I'm on out." And usually, money is important to them, obviously, and they're not going to deposit it then. You know, these are still good people, but they're like, why am I going to send you $1,000? I want out of this deal. I'm not going to send it to you. And then that's when uh, the things happen with against the agent for not letting everybody know.
1: That's right. And Tony, there was an instance uh, a while back an agent didn't collect earnest money because the inspection happened so fast. That the deadline for earnest money wasn't even up yet. The buyer had their inspection, said, I want out. The seller said, I don't agree. The the stuff you're saying on this inspection report is simple and easy. I'll fix it. I want you to proceed with the purchase. We felt the buyer had every right to back out. The seller didn't agree. And this turned into a fight. Okay. And because the earnest money wasn't collected, of course, uh the agent went back to the buyer and said, Well, you still have to turn your earnest money in. They said, Well, why? I'm canceling the deal based on inspection. They refused to turn in their earnest money. And the end of that story was not a happy one because the agent ended up having to pay money on on, on that one. And again, no names or exact situations on it, but this collection of earnest money thing, it's critical. Okay. And if the agents, if you if you don't know what's going on, you are opening yourself up to liability.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Mike Ferrante from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team, real estate agents serving all of Ohio. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, or you're an agent looking to partner with the number two team for Century 21 in the entire U.S., contact Mike via email at mike at 21mike.com.
1: So Tony, to your point, we assume the good in people, right? But what about if uh we take a check and let's say we turn it into the brokerage, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that point in a second, brokerage versus title company. They turn it into the brokerage and the check bounces. Hey, as long as they uh bring a new check the next day, it's it's all good, right? I don't have to tell anyone about that, do I?
2: No, definitely have to tell people because they don't have the money at that time. So that's a, another reason why we really push our agents to use uh, the, directly to the title company. So the title company can handle it. That's their job to handle the earnest money or the, the funds. And also a lot of them uh, have electronic fund transfers. So you could they could go right online and transfer the money so you don't have to worry about a bounce check. And over the years, we've had many, earnest money checks bound some for, to, for aid uh, clients that probably knew that their account wasn't there, but some by just by uh, just bad, you know, accounting on the buyer's part, but you have to let everybody know, but usually as a buyer, buyer's agent, then, uh, you know, all of a sudden sparks curiosity uh, in a transaction, like what's happening Do these people have money or something's happening. And it's just, it's worry that you don't, you want to try to avoid as much as possible.
1: So, Tony, let's shift gears from earnest money to security deposits, okay? So, again, we're handling other people's monies. Uh, Let's say that the person, whether it's earnest money or security deposit, let's say they have cash. Should should an agent ever take a wad of hundreds?
2: No. (laughs) You could tell them to go get a money order or something, but don't take cash. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and there's so many reasons why I feel like we shouldn't have to explain that. Uh, we can talk offline about that. If you guys want to hit us up on that, please don't take cash. Just trust us. Uh, also document everything. So even if your client is sending a check or wiring money, ask for a copy of that so that you have it for your records. Again, you're almost like building a case that you did a good job throughout a transaction. So if if something bad happens, you want to be able to show, well, here's what I did to show that I fulfilled my duties as a property manager, as an owner, as a realtor. So back to the security deposit question. Uh, let's just say that you have um, a property, whether you're the owner, manager, whatever, and you collect, because let's say they're risky. Let's say, all right, I'll rent to you, but I want a double deposit because you're risky. That's allowed, but... Tony, I, I wonder if, if you've heard of this. You know what you have to do if you take more than one month's rent as deposit. I see I see Jason on. I wonder if you've ever come across this. Uh, feel free to unmute if you want to chime in on this as a property owner. Do you know what you have to do if you collect more than one month rent as a security deposit? Anyone? Bueller? I do not know what
2: that. All I know is that you got to keep that, you got to keep an account Counting of any, you know, security deposits got to be in a separate account. Can't commingle that, and that's got to be money that could go back to. You can't use it. It's supposed so to be money that's just held.
1: Hundred percent. So the so the commingling of funds. I'm gonna I'm saving that story for the end here. I'm I'm leading you all to to like wait till the end for for that awesome story I'm gonna tell you about racketeering. But at least in Ohio, I'm not sure if this is a federal law or if it, if it's Ohio, if you take more than one month's rent as a security deposit, you have to pay interest on that money. That, that is a law. You must pay interest on it. So I'm going to give you a little pointer, something I've learned over the years. When you have someone that you want to get more money from up front, here's my recommendation. You've, you've heard of people saying, well, I take security first and last month's rent. That's a great way to get more money up front. And now it's prepaid rent instead of security deposit. So you could actually be collecting three months rent up front, but only make one month the security deposit. Otherwise, you have to track this and pay them interest on it. And it's just a hassle. And hey, the property management business is already full of enough hassles. We don't need to add one to it. Um, so that's, that's really an important thing I wanted to convey today because I, I hear about landlords taking bigger deposits. And I think that's just a road you really don't want to go down. Uh, let's see here on the, well, let me go ahead and get to my good story here. I've saved it long enough. So commingling of funds, separate account again, guys, the, whether you're an owner, property manager, whatever, don't put money in your own account. Okay and then certainly keep everyone's money separate, the state could at any time come in and say, let us see your books. And they're gonna wanna see how you're keeping your money separate from your clients. And if you have multiple clients, how are you tracking that? Here's a story for you. Um, Let's just say you're in this position, Tony, you manage a couple of different people's properties. And one of the properties you manage is a six unit apartment building, okay? And for whatever reason, Whatever reason it is, the water is about to be shut off to that building. As the property manager, you have a duty to make sure these people have a place to live. You know, you are the manager on behalf of the owner, you're responsible. Like if, if the water line broke, you'd be arranging contractors to get it fixed, right? So the water is about to be shut off. Maybe the owner's having financial distress or whatever, and they haven't been able to pay the water bill. You don't have any money from that owner in your account, in your escrow account. There's no money. Your tenants are freaking out because there's notices posted on the building. okay? They're calling you, They're blowing you up. Tony, you're my manager. my water's about to be turned off. Do something about it, or I'm calling the state on you. So what do you do? You write a check and pay the water bill. So these people have water. You've done a good thing, right?
2: Well, yeah, depending on where he got that money from.
1: (laughs) Well, I just told you, the owner doesn't have any money. You don't have any of that owner's money. So what did you do? You went into your escrow account, other people's money, and paid that water bill. You'll pay it back later, right? When that owner sends you money or when those tenants pay rent, you'll pay it back later. You can't let their water get turned off. That's exactly what this property manager did. Perfectly reasonable rationale why he did it. But unfortunately, because he was using other people's money to pay another client's bill, he got indicted for racketeering, you know, the misappropriation of funds. So even if you're doing things for what you consider to be morally right or ethical reasons, the rules are the rules. Okay. And if you break those rules, you will get in trouble for it. This was a decent guy, a, a good guy who was trying to do the right thing. And he got in trouble with the state because he, commingled funds. Crazy, right? I mean, that's just, uh, when I when I heard that story, I couldn't b- believe it. And it's from uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago, but it's a true story.
2: Yeah, no, we've had that uh, happen. Well, not in the, the states uh, or a conviction or someone uh, get arrested for it, but we've had many a times uh, all of a sudden we're closing on a property and in the in our purchase agreement, it says that we're going the buyer's going to receive a prorated amount of the security deposit. And then we get the closing and we had title companies call us so that the seller doesn't have it. You know, like where it happened to the security deposit? Where is the money? You know, they just, it, it happens quite often. Uh, and, and sometimes, I mean, that's just when we've heard a few stories over the years from title companies, it probably happens if you talk to a title company, probably happens more often than you think, you know, yeah. all of a sudden you got your net, you're supposed to uh, give out that money back to it. I know it's a credit and they, they take it out, but I think a lot of uh, people don't know this rule that are just uh, novice investors out there, you
1: know. That's right. So guys, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'll recap what we talked about. Don't say things like no section 8 because of the protected class of income, which is expanding. Just because it's not in your area doesn't mean it's not going to be. Secondly, whenever you're handling other people's money, whether it's earnest money, security deposits, First of all, try to have someone else do it. Like Tony said, try to have the title company hold earnest money and security deposits, make sure it's going into an escrow account. And lastly, don't commingle funds. This is kind of a general broad sweeping statement. Don't mix your money with your buyer's money. If your buyer says, hey, here's $1,000, can you write the earnest money check for me? Don't do it. In general, commingling of funds is bad. And even though you might be doing it to help someone, it's against the law, so don't do it.
2: Thanks for all that, Mike. That's good, especially the people that are just have are their own rental properties, or they're thinking, or they have some clients that are thinking about buying some rental properties. But you always point them to an attorney. You know, Tony, <laughs> you I realize give them, the, give them the conversation a little bit about yeah. the, having the knowledge, but of course, consult an attorney to tell you all the legalities of you know front and back
1: you know, as I was getting ready to hit the stop button, I realized we didn't give our usual disclaimer that we're real estate professionals, not attorneys. And obviously, you know, this is from our experience and consult with your attorney. But uh, I think in general, the stuff that we said today is pretty safe to say that we're right. So uh, go with that. And uh, by all means, please join us three more weeks coming up of keeping you out of trouble in the real estate and uh, related businesses. Thanks for joining us, everybody.
2: Thanks for joining us. See you next week.
0: We hope you enjoyed free beer and real estate from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team. Please subscribe to our podcast and find us on YouTube by searching for Mike Ferrante, Cleveland Realtor. You will find videos, training, and even recipes from 21 Mike's Vegan Kitchen.